Building a successful real estate career requires you to adapt, pivot, and constantly master new skills. We're Katie and Daniel Steinfeld. We've built our own innovative brokerage. And in this podcast, we've assembled actionable tips and strategies that you can implement to take your business to its maximum potential. It's time to level up. Level up. Hello, hello. It is time for another episode of Level Up. I'm Daniel. I'm here with Katie. And we're going to talk about something everybody likes to talk about and experience your commissions. Cha-ching. <laughs> the money that comes in. I, we should do that every time. We should have like a little vocal sound effect every time we announce things. So yeah, we're talking about your commissions and we're going to try to deconstruct it in a very quick and detailed way, uh, which is somewhat contradictory, but we can be detailed in a quick way. Good try. Uh, and maybe dispel some myths and just get real about what you're actually taking home at the end of the day. Right. We want to just, first of all, say that the whole way our entire industry is set up from a brokerage level in terms of giving awards based on GCI is complete bullshit, in my opinion. And what's GCI? (laughs) Gross commission income, Alex. Oh, that's right. You were supposed to... (laughs) What is? Yes, put that in the form of a question. Yeah, but this is the issue. You take home... Like your GCI does not represent what you actually take home at the end of the day. And because, and you're being rewarded based on this fake number that actually doesn't reflect what's in your bank account, I think is very irresponsible and it shouldn't be relied upon as a measure of success. Agree. And it's funny, what I didn't even realize, I always thought that GCI, and this is like me being an idiot, but Mm -hmm. coming clean, I always thought GCI was the amount you get from the brokerage after they take their split. Mm. But the GCI is just the amount the brokerage takes in before the split. Right. So when you're getting your awards and all that, you know, there's a there's a reason you're getting awards based on how much money's coming yeah. in because they're taking their piece of it. They're right. not going to award you on what you take home, even though that is somewhat logical. <laughs> Let's take awards aside because yeah. that in itself is a whole other gong show of a discussion for another week. But... <laughs> um, Really, we can call it GCI, we can call it whatever. We want to break this down a little bit more because I think to any of you that are listening, to anybody who's had a deal before and got all starry-eyed either at your contract with your company or when you had your first deal or when you got your first paycheck, you've probably run into the wait a second, how much am I actually taking home question Mm -hmm. as you've really taken a look at what happened after all the dust settled. Yeah, exactly. So let's really break that down. And there's a few different pieces to this. And again, we don't want to dive into every single line item that might go into your work. But you need to understand that in order to make money, the old adage goes, you have to spend money. And, and time, mm-hmm. which is a valuable thing to understand as well. But 
I don't know what's easiest here. Should we just use an example? Or I know we, we can talk about the difference also between different types of deals, whether it's buying and selling yeah, and how that well, looks. Well, and I, I think first and foremost, you guys are all running businesses. We're independent contractors. We have we should have our own financial statements. We should understand exactly how much we're spending on each and every deal that we have with a client. And one interesting thing that Daniel and I have done in our own business is just compare the difference between how much we make when we represent a seller and how much we make when we represent and a buyer and how those differ significantly because typically when you're representing a seller you have a lot of upfront expenses like staging and photography and whatever else you invest in in order to sell your client's home for the best possible price Um, so that has to be a consideration the other consideration as Daniel said before is your time and I mean I don't know about you guys but on average for us we're probably spending double at least the time working with a buyer than we do with a seller. So those yeah. things kind of offset each other. And that and that only goes up. Like we're right now in the yeah. midst of a seller's market that is becoming For more sure. and more of a seller's market. Yeah. Meaning unless you have a buyer with a briefcase of cash, mm-hmm. which doesn't – we don't have buyers like that. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be spinning your wheels and spending a lot of time doing your job properly to find them the best place. But that time is worth real money because the time you spend with one person is time you're not spending building your business elsewhere. Exactly. Yeah, so that's something just to keep in mind as you're going through. And just going back to that as you do deals um, in the future and just seeing if that's actually accurate based on what what you're actually doing. Yeah, so... Let's talk a bit about what these deals and dollars actually can look like. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a planning exercise. This isn't a, you know, and this does feed into a planning. We did have an episode several months ago about financial planning, and, and it's something we'll talk about in the future. But specifically, if you were to break down a deal... I mean, we can just use dollars and cents here to give a bit of a picture to what it might look like. So let's say your cut... After a deal, you let's say you sold a place, mm-hmm. and your commission is ten thousand dollars. Okay. So uh, whatever it is, let's say that's your commission after your brokerage takes their piece and all that. I would think that at a minimum, you understand what your take home. Yeah. After the brokerage takes their cut is right. So whatever that is, you just made ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and you get a check for ten grand, and you're feeling good. But wait, there's mm-hmm. less. right there are all kinds of things and maybe let's just name off certain things that you could have spent in a normal market to generate that ten thousand dollars so you brought up photography yeah let's say that was 500 bucks Mm -hmm. Uh, the photographer might have also wanted to do video the photographer might have also generated you might have done a floor plan yeah you might have printed and you probably did print all sorts of collateral, feature sheets, marketing materials. Speaking of marketing, maybe you were advertising the listing on social media channels and using different platforms to push the, the marketing out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, toss in stuff. The big There's a big ticket item. Staging. Staging is the big one. Yeah. I mean, depending on how you run your business, some people pay for staging, some people don't, but it, it's everything that goes into a listing or a buy. Um, you might get your clients a gift afterwards. Yep. So 
you got to keep track of all of that. And I know we all keep track of our expenses from an HST perspective and seeing what we're paying in HST in order to offset (laughs) the HST that we're taking in, because that's another big thing that even though, you know, the, the payment you get includes the HST. So that has to be accounted for. And there will be, uh, an amount that you can offset that with at the yeah. end of the year. Let's, but, yeah. let's jump to HST. Let's, let's get okay. to the tax stuff in a minute. But just even though I, I don't want to beat it to death, your 10 grand yeah. could have cost you 10 grand or more is what I'm trying to say. Like from a your staging costs. and everything yeah. like that. Well, I mean, if you really look at it, like one of our deals, like we're probably spending a couple, two to three thousand dollars in various marketing and staging activities always and and that's because in our case like everybody's different but Mm -hmm. in our case we built up an an inventory of staging stuff yeah if we were like if you hire a stager yeah in today's day and age you're paying four five six or more thousand dollars exactly to stage and it's not to say that that same property might not generate you 15 or 20 or 25 thousand but when it comes down to it whatever the cost the best thing to do without getting specific on planning is to establish a threshold for yourself of what yeah. a deal is worth to you net and the net is what's left over after all these costs. So your 10 grand minus all of your other expenses to generate this deal is what you take home that is now used for a combination of, as Katie said, taxes as well as living your life mm-hmm. and actually paying for what you need to make money for. Yeah. If you haven't established some sort of a threshold, whether it's I'm willing to spend up to 25%, 30% of what I look to make on this on expenses, it can get away from you in a very big hurry. Yeah, absolutely. So, And, and that also comes back to understanding when you go into a listing, you might typically cut your commission down to two, one and a half percent. I don't know. But if you're spending a few thousand dollars on each listing, I hope you're not cutting your commission significantly because that is real dollars that is flowing out of, you know, out of your potential income at the end of the day. It's a very real reason. And not that your own value regardless isn't reason enough, but it's a reason to justify commission Mm -hmm. to a seller when you're presenting to them. Because if you're investing tangible dollars in them, there's a cost to that, right? And one thing we haven't mentioned is there's no guarantee you'll get that money back. If the place doesn't sell, Mm -hmm. if you've taken on a listing that has unrealistic expectations of the price and you haven't really thought through that side of things, the money you invest is sunk, which means it's spent regardless of whether or not the place sells. So you need to not just understand the threshold you're willing to take on of a risk in investing in this place and the money you're going to make, but also the chance that that's money you might never see again. Yeah. Hopefully that's not the case. That doesn't happen that often, but listings terminate and listings fall apart. And often that's because you haven't invested enough money in it. But those are those are the things to consider in terms of where it is you want to end up at the end of the day and a good way for you to plan each and every deal you go into. And this will grow over time, I think, as you do more deals to have an understanding of what's comfortable 
and make sense for you. Right. And have a better understanding of the costs because somebody might think, oh yeah, I'll pay for painting. And then they realize that painting actually costs $5,000. And so they'll learn very quickly (laughs) that going forward, you probably won't offer that as one of your services or you'll make sure to reflect that in your higher commission or whatever it might be or get your client to pay for it. Yeah. There's also costs that are variable based on the deal, right? So painting could mean touch-ups. Painting could mean a whole house. Yeah. You know, staging can vary, but certain things are pretty fixed. Like we know pretty well what our photographer is going to cost mm-hmm. every time. Um, so to build your own understanding of the costs is one thing. And then also to determine... What sort of an agent are you when it comes to, you know, are you one of those that really wants to keep churning out deals and volume is more important, Mm. you know, and so the margin and the income that you make can be a little bit lower because your whole model is spending a lot constantly to do more and more and more deals. That's fine. That's your prerogative. But you need to understand what that looks like and you need to know that you can sustain that volume that you're projecting for yourself. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, so there's the costs that go into like the initial obvious costs. And then obviously there's the taxes, which we touched upon. So you've got the HST, which you're taking in, which you have to give back to the government at the end of the year. Um, And then there's your income tax. Yeah. So the only thing to know with the HST is the amount you take in is not the exact amount that you're going to be paying back. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the way HST works is the HST you spend as a business, you technically claim back from the government. So it's really the net of HST collected minus HST paid. But don't get cute with this and try to figure it out to the dollar. You're always going to be better off if you're responsible. Putting aside, I think rule of thumb is somewhere around 10%. Really? You think it's that low? Versus 13 Oh, no, no, no. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant 10% of what you No, no, no. Like, like if, if the HST is 13%, so I'm oh, saying about okay. 75% of the HST. Yeah, I think that's... More or less. Yeah, yeah. Should be safe. If you're keeping track of your expenses well, it's reasonable to expect that'll have you covered and then some. Right. If you want to be conservative and, and really be safe and not ever have a worry in the world... Just take all the HST and put it aside, put it in something for the year, you know, a savings account or something, yeah. make yeah, one some or two percent. Accounts off. Yeah, that yeah. offered, you know, not great, but decent. Yeah. And then you'll make a little bit of money off your HST and pay it back at the end of the year and everybody's happy. Yeah. As far as income tax goes, this is a this is an interesting one because people ask a lot, well, what am I supposed well, there's a, there is someone and we spoke to somebody earlier this week who didn't even realize they still have to pay tax at mm. the end of all this, which is not that unusual if you've been making money conventionally your whole life and getting a paycheck from a company where they take the tax off it's a strange thing to get a payment as a self-employed realtor and then have to calculate your own tax at the end of the year right but you don't get let off the hook from income tax just because you're not working for a big company Mm -hmm. so you need to also from the money you take home after this hst money and all that you need to understand that a portion of that is going to be paid at tax time for income taxes yeah um 
Yeah, and I know but, some people that put that amount away off their check. I mean, not that exact amount. Again, you're not going to be paying that complete amount because you'll have expenses to offset your income taxes. But it's it's just responsible to just know what could be coming off of that final amount that you have to live off of. And if you feel more comfortable setting some money aside for that, that's cool. Because I think you don't want to be shocked at the end of the year um, with some big tax bill. Yeah, it's it can get really big. If mm-hmm. you're if you're a realtor that's making six figures, yeah. you know, in in GCI <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, when tax time comes, you could be on the hook for twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. It's possible. And if you haven't if you've spent every dollar, this goes back to what we were talking about, you know, when I worked for the football team, I saw a lot of athletes and they got paid on a game by game basis. That's how it worked. They'd get a paycheck and these are American guys. And so when they got over the shock of Canadian taxes and mm-hmm. not taking home what they thought, they'd still, after a game, go out and spend virtually their entire paycheck that night because there was a game the next week. But they didn't really think through the fact that there's money they need to live off of. And, you know, life doesn't work that way. Yeah. So when you get a paycheck and it, it, by all means know what your means are and celebrate and buy yourself something nice. Yeah. But you need to be aware of where the money needs to go to keep yourself going. And then also to allow your business to keep growing and to keep planning for future deals. Mm-hmm. Um, because if all you do is invest in your, in, in your right now stuff, you're not paving the way for what comes next. Yeah, and that goes to your systems, like your CRM. If you don't have one right now, maybe that's something once you get your first deal or two, you might invest in a CRM. And that, you know, all of these charges for real estate services typically charge you on a monthly basis. So don't let those get out of hand because it can be really easy to sign up. Like, oh, I'll just so I get a Zoom account here. I'll do a CRM there. I'll get a lead landing pages thing over there and pretty soon you're paying hundreds of dollars every single month in um in expenses Mm -hmm. and and that's cool if you have an understanding of exactly what it is and you're using those systems to generate more business for you but i mean even for us like we have systems in place where we're not even touching (laughs) sorry touching them it's making you short of breath (laughs) i know (laughs) But so just make sure that you understand exactly what is your business is, is paying, like what you're paying for on a, on a monthly basis. Yeah. And being an entrepreneur in any industry, but especially in ours, it can get very hot and very cold anytime. Well, yeah. COVID. Like, look, like, look, yeah, at COVID. look at it right now. If you have been living deal to deal mm. and you hit a three month cold spell, you need that you know, rainy day fund or that amount that you've put aside to keep yourself going, whether it's with your monthly systems or just with your living expenses, make that part of your plan, contingency plan. And basically when it comes down to it on a deal by deal basis, as best as you can allocate what that looks like and where the money should be going. So figure out what portion of it, as we said, is your threshold for the costs for the deal Figure out what portion of it is going to save for taxes. Figure out what portion of it is going is needed to pay your bills right now, and whatever's left, you know, as as detailed Go as you want to be. Shopping. Well, yeah, shop <laughs> shop with some of it. 
but you know, figure out how much of it needs to be put aside for the just in case fund or for the I'm expanding or I'm planning for the next deal or whatever, you know, or I need a contingency when I run dry for a few months. Right. Yeah. You need that as well. There's just so many different, like when you're your own business and we've seen this, there is no end to the places you can put your money. Everyone wants your money. There's lots of tempting things. Have a plan and really understand that getting a deal is what keeps you going. You know, it's not winning the lottery. It feels great to get a well, deal done. And, and that's the thing. It's hard to not think you've hit the lottery. Like you've get, you get your, a new client. You're like, oh my gosh, they've got this amount of budget. I could, I'm likely going to be taking home this money in a few months or whatever it is. Yeah. And that can feel like it's like, oh, I hit, I hit the lottery. I wasn't expecting this one. Yeah. And you just be very responsible with the money you get from it. Right. And the month or two you spend before you get that money, you're spending a lot of money to make that money. You yeah. know, like you start with these deals down a few thousand bucks. Yeah. So and that but it's not but obviously you can't look at it that way. Like you're no. investing it to to do your job, but it is your job. Yeah. You know, some people make a salary that they get the same amount every week and it doesn't feel like they're winning the lottery because that's their salary. Well, yours comes in larger chunks less frequently. Yeah, and seasonally. So keep that in mind too because most people have some sort of a seasonal business where spring and fall could be higher than the summer and the winter. So keep that in mind as well when you're planning. Make sure you have money set aside for those slower months. Um, but one thing to point I, I think is really important is that a lot of people when they're in this type of business, they don't treat it like a full-time job. And I think if you do treat it like a full-time job, like put in the nine to five, mm-hmm. um, treat it as if you're getting like you're earning a salary every single week. So it evens out a little bit. If you can have that mindset, I think you're going to start seeing more consistency in the income that you bring home and how your business is set up. Yeah. Keep your mind to it all the time. Don't let yourself relax just because you got a big paycheck. Yeah. And that's and that's a tough trap because if you get a big deal done, you know, it's really easy to say, well, that just paid for my next two months of expenses, so I don't really need to focus for the next month. Well, you're always investing and focused on the next one. When something gets done, that's great, but you have to keep going because there needs to be one after that and one after that again. Exactly. So bottom line, go make lots of money, be Mm -hmm. smart about keeping it where you can and understand where it's all going. Because if you don't, GCI is just another three letter word. (laughs) That was so weak. I might even edit that out. No, I won't. Anyway, that is it for this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have any questions, let us know. Daniel's a, an accountant by trade. So uh, he with, with can, that, he can give with you that some last advice. joke, doesn't it show? <laughs> but thanks again. And we will see you next week. Later.